0: Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Welcome this morning. My name is Ryan. I'm a partner here at Rev. If I haven't met you yet, and um, I'd love to meet you sometime. I'm really sorry if that's today because I have to run out right after the service. My daughter's flying to Italy, and I get to do one of those fun dad things like go hug her, pray for her, and also try to embarrass her in front of like 40 of her friends. So it'll be really good. Um, so sorry, if I'll be here next week if we want to talk some more. But this week, we're going to start out by talking about joy. Uh, joy is one of those things that I think we have a hard time sometimes knowing when to use the word joy, when to use happiness, when to use gladness, because it's gotten kind of muddy in our mind, and frankly, I kind of blame our team. Uh, Protestant Christianity has tried at different times throughout history to act as though happiness, gladness, that's something that we'll give to the world. They can be happy and glad, but joy, Christians, they're the only ones who can truly be joyful, right? And and I get get the heart behind that because in reality, every good and perfect emotion can only truly be known in knowing God, right? Whether it's love, whether it's grace and forgiveness. So I understand that desire to put joy there is located in God, but it's also really confusing when you come to read scripture. (laughs) Because as you read through scripture, the word groups for happiness, gladness, joyfulness, they get used interchangeably. They're talking about the same experience that we have, when we come to God, let me give you a couple examples here. For example, uh, in Esther, it says, For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. Uh, in Jeremiah, when he talks about the, the captives coming out of uh, exile, he says, I will turn their mourning into joy and bring happiness out of their grief. And children, listen up to this one Proverbs 23 Give your father and mother joy. May she who gave you birth be happy, right? Both those things are good things. You want your moms and dads to be happy and joyful. It says, you, O Lord, have made me happy by your work. I will sing for joy because of what you have done. And rejoice in the Lord and be happy, you who are godly. And Joy is that feeling. Sometimes it's that, the best way we know it is it's that feeling when you're not feeling bad, right? It's that, that happiness, that gladness that comes bubbling out of different situations. And in that sense, we all can identify joy very easily, right? It's like a, a small kid on a swing, right? When they get to that very height of the swing and their stomach starts to drop out a little bit and their smile goes from ear to ear as they come rushing back down, that's joy, that's happiness, that gladness. You guys in the front row here, you probably know this one. When you go to a bakery and you look in that, that window case and you see all the best donuts and cookies and all the cakes and you're like, that one. And they actually pull it out and give it to you. Ooh, That's joyful moment, right? Your parents probably say the first cup of coffee in the morning, right? <laughs> you know, joy. We see it all over the place. We can even see it in things like 40-year-old men and women in the football stands, waving their arms and screaming wildly as the quarterback at either the high school or the college finally throws that game-winning throw. It could be knowing that your fantasy football team is 2-0 and and Pastor Brenz is 1-1. And that could be joyful for someone. But you might play him this week, so you might want to be a little humble about that. <laughs> um, there are so many different ways that we see joy happiness, gladness, and it's good. And that's what we're going to be called to this morning in Hebrews 12, one through two, is to look at joy. To look at joy as how we engage our life filled with sin, filled with suffering, but not just any joy. We're called to join in Jesus's joy. So we're going to look at this morning to see the same happiness, to see the same gladness, to see the same joy that Jesus had as our foundation for walking well through sin and suffering. So let's look at our passage, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The author of Hebrews has just been going through a really long section talking about our brothers and sisters from the Old Testament who lived by faith in the future Messiah. And that's who this great cloud of witnesses that he's talking about. Having looked at all of them, he has a call for us now. And these are the kind of people he's talking about. He talked about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. He talked about Noah spending decades building the ark, trusting in what God was going to do in the flood. Moses and his mother setting him in a little basket and floating him down the river and trusting the Lord to do what he would do. The people of Israel crossing the Red Sea with walls of water on either side, knowing that God was going to be the one to get them to the other side. All these people are said by the author of Hebrews to have faith in a God who would do something wonderful for them in the future. And they were able to endure all types of different things. Right at the very end of that whole section, right before our section that we're looking at this morning, here's what he says. Here's how he kind of sums up who they are and what they've done. He says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. Enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mockery and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins and sheep of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the desert and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That's what the author summarizes, these these brothers and sisters and the faith that they had. Sure, their faith and what God did for them was amazing in many ways. Stopping fire, stopping the mouths of lions, winning wars and battles, yet so much of it comes amidst suffering. It's amidst that backdrop of war. Some are tortured, some have affliction, some suffer. Many of these witnesses lived very hard lives. And the author is showing again and again how they lived in faith of the future Messiah. But what's interesting is he calls you and me to something very different. We are to lay aside every weight, every suffering and difficulty that we go through along with our sins. And how does he say we're to do that? We're to do it by this. By looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. we, We don't live the same type of faith that our brothers and sisters from the Old Testament lived out. They saw a future Messiah that one day would come. They knew he would save them. He knew he would deal with their sins. They knew that he would bring them back into right relationship with God, but it was cloudy how all of that was going to work. And the writer of Hebrews wants you and I to look and see, not just that fuzzy picture, but to see something very specific. We have seen and know Jesus Christ. We know how he came and died for our sins, how he walked on this earth, and how he was raised in glory. And what the writer of Hebrews wants us to look at and see very specifically about how Jesus lived and died is his joy. There is some kind of joy some kind of happiness, some kind of gladness that even being in the face of the cross, it wasn't able to be squelched. You know, it was as though there's some sort of joy that's like a 10,000 acre forest fire that as it's raging, suffering looks like a little tiny garden hose of water spitting back at it. How is that possible? How is there some sort of joy that when compared to the cross and the shame that Christ was undaunted and unfazed? You know, I had the joy of getting to preach on this passage for two weeks, and that really is a joy to get to unpack it over two different Sundays. Next week, we're going to look specifically at how joy is a, affects our sin and suffering. But today, I want to start out with just joy, because I think sometimes it's actually sort of foreign to us. You know, Jesus joy. Have you ever thought about how Jesus had to be the most joyful person ever? We're oftentimes really quick to say that Jesus was obviously the most loving, obviously the most forgiving, obviously the most gracious, most enduring. But do you ever think about how he was the most joyful? I think some of that's not our fault. You know, when we think about pictures that we've seen of Jesus throughout time, you often see pictures of Jesus looking fairly solemn, a little brooding, serious. And, and you can't blame the, the artist for that, right? Usually they're thinking about Jesus in particular as the crucified lamb, the one who's going to come and die on the cross. And we know from Scripture that from the Last Supper all the way through the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was in agony emotionally, struggling with what the Lord had called him to do, begging him to do anything other than this if there was a possible way. But that's a really set period in time Have you ever thought to maybe even potentially picture Jesus like this? Right? Now, the joyful Jesus, he's happy, he's having a good time. Now, granted, this picture comes from a movie in the late 90s that's actually making fun of Christianity, but I think that's partly why it's fun to grab it and use it because I don't think we often try and think about Jesus as the joyful God, the guy who was joking around with his disciples and having fun, the guy that his disciples likely wanted to be like in his joy. Have you ever considered that he joked around, that people wanted to be joyful like him? You know, when the Pharisees critiqued Jesus, they kind of had a go-to, right? Like Jesus was the guy who hung out with drunkards and sinners, and he was just bad for that, right? And here's how Jesus replies to that, right? This is Luke 7, 34. He says, the son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Right? I think that, that Pharise- the Pharisaical comment that he was a drunkard was actually commenting about his joy, See, they could never imagine hanging out with sinners, hanging out with people that they did not consider on the good side of the equation, and feeling anything but anger, frustration, hatred, wanting to push them away, never be a part of it. And yet here comes this Jesus, and he sits down with sinners, and he is happy. He is joyful. And the only way they can ever imagine that happiness is he must be getting drunk with them, Right? Jesus never sinned, so we know he never got drunk, right? Jesus was this happy, joyful person. Think about all the images Jesus gives to himself. One of the images is as a bridegroom. Have you been to a wedding recently and seen the groom standing up front? It's like a smile ear to ear, just waiting for his bride to come down the aisle. Sometimes there's tears of joy even coming down. There's no one happier in that room usually than that guy and that lady in that moment. And Jesus also pictures himself at times. He takes on the picture of, of a woman who finds a coin, one of her 10 coins that she's lost. And she's so excited. She's running around, knocking on all her neighbor's doors and telling her how wonderful it is that they f- she found her coin. That's incredibly joyful. Those are the kind of images that Jesus gives himself. And those images would have fallen on deaf ears if Jesus was not a joyful man. And people could never imagine that God was really like the Father in the uh, the parable of the prodigal son, right? Who picks up his robe, goes running down the road in shame and dishonor so that he can grab and pull back his son in love and joy if Jesus walked around like a brooding teenager all day long. The scripture talks about Jesus being joyful, happy, glad again and again. And it's not just when he dies and is resurrected Finally. We see in scripture of the pre-incarnate Christ in Proverbs 8.30, when it says this, then I, Jesus, was besides him, God the Father, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of men. And we can see that it pleased God the Father to continue to help Jesus in that joy we can see this in Hebrews 1.9 where it's quoting Psalm 45. It says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond all your companions. There is no one around Jesus that was as glad as he was in the pleasure of his Father. And it says, For you make him, Jesus, most blessed forever. You make him, Jesus, glad with the joy of your presence. It is worth it for us to delve into, to try to understand Jesus's joy, Jesus's happiness, his gladness, and where it comes from because it's part of his nature. It's who he is at the core. Yes, hard things were going to happen to him and hard things happened to us. And we're gonna talk about that in depth next week. But those were not what defined him and they're not what defined you. As we go through scripture again and again and we look at the joy of Jesus we see two main objects of his joy. We see that Jesus's joy is first and foremost in knowing and being known and loved by the Father. And we see second that Jesus's joy is in seeing others knowing and being known and loved by the Father. It's the joy that he has and seeing others walk into that same relationship that he has with God himself. And we looked already at Psalm 21, where it mentioned that Jesus is joyful in the presence of God. Peter says the same thing. Peter's first sermon ever. Jesus has been resurrected. Everyone's asking what happened with this Jesus at Pentecost. Peter is there preaching in Acts 2. And here's what he says. He goes straight to the Psalms and he quotes it. He says, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced my flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. And Peter, knowing that all the Jews hearing that would be thinking about David, actually says that David foresaw and spoke about the resurrected Christ. That whole things about Jesus, the hope that Jesus clung to, the hope that David wanted to cling to were the same That knowing that the Father loved them that the Father would not condemn them forever away from him, but rather he would show them the paths of life and make them full with gladness in their presence. Jesus dwells there in his relationship with the Father so much throughout Scripture. Jesus says that he knew the Father, right? Matthew 11 says no one knows the Father except the Son. And Jesus knew, not only did he know the Father, that the Father knew him and loved him. He says this in John 5, he says, the father loves the son and shows him all that he is doing. It's that relationship that he has with his father, with God himself, the father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ that brings Jesus the greatest joy. That's why he can continually say that he wants to bring glory to God. He knows and is secure in the love that they have for one another. It may seem like an odd question this morning, but do you actually have joy gladness, happiness in your relationship with God? On the one hand, I think many questions would be pretty quick to say, well, yeah, I do. I'm not going to hell. I'm hoping I'm going to the new heavens and the new earth. That makes me happy. That makes me joyful. But do you actually have joy just being in relationship with God? Do you, do you truly love that you can know him now through his word and through his Holy Spirit? Do you love that you no longer have to go to a temple, bring a sacrifice for the priest to sacrifice that they can then go into the Holy Holies on your behalf, but rather you yourself today are the very temple of God and dwelt by his Holy Spirit if you're a believer. It's a slight difference. It's a slight difference to enjoy the things that come with being a Christian and enjoying God himself. We enjoy forgiveness We enjoy the fact that God is growing us and changing us constantly. We enjoy the community of people that he's put around us. Those are all wonderful and good things that he wants us to have joy in. But it's not quite the same as enjoying him. It's not quite the same as enjoying being face to face with God. This is actually an exhortation that Jesus has to give his disciples. He sent them all out, paired them up. They go out, they're ministering, and they return. And here's what they say says, the 72 returned with joy. They're excited. This has been a great experience for them. And they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he, Jesus, said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus' disciples are like us. They, they're excited about the things that came along with being one of his disciples. Power over the world, power over the enemy and his demons. And Jesus says this, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that God knows you and that you know God. And Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And then he kind of flips it around in Galatians when he's talking to them in Galatians four. He says, but now you have come to know God or rather be known by God. How can you turn back again? Christ knowing you and loving you, God knowing you and loving you. You now be being able in God through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit to walk into relationship with him, to sit before him, to speak, to know he hears. To know that when he sees you, he's pleased in you. That he loves you. That you're wanted. That's the primary joy that Jesus has and that we should have too. It's that joy, that joy of coming to our Father, knowing how wonderful it is to sit before him and need nothing else that actually births that second joy. The second joy that seeing others come to know and to be known and loved by God. Now, Jesus, Jesus could have been very selfish. He he didn't have to share the love that he and the God had had within the Trinity. You've heard the phrase probably before that love and joy really isn't love or joy until you share it, right? Well, God was already doing that. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were already fully joyful, fully happy, fully glad with one another. And yet, God chose to magnify joy by bringing us into that joy. You know, God loves that he can bring others back to himself, that he did that at a great cost to himself, the cross. You know, many of us are familiar with parables like the parable of of the good shepherd. And here's what it says here in Matthew's version. Uh, It says, and if he, the good shepherd, finds it a lost sheep, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. God rejoices in bringing people back into relationship with himself. He wants to bring all those who are his sheep back into relationship with him. But he doesn't just do that for his own joy. Look how Luke says a little bit more about the same parable. It says, and when he found it, meaning the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders with rejoicing. So even the process of going after and bringing back is joyful to God. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. He's inviting people back into this joy with him, not just to experience him for yourself, but to love seeing others experience him as well. It's the same picture that he uses when, again, we talks about that woman finding the coin. Here's the whole parable, how he says it. He says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus' joy was not only in knowing his own relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, but is also rejoicing in seeing others come into that same relationship that he has. And God, God is looking for angels, looking for you and looking for me to rejoice with him every time that happens, to be overwhelmed, overjoyed with his work in people's hearts to bring them back to himself. Do you know that joy? I hope we do. I see it in people with football teams. They want other people to enjoy their football teams, their favorite food that they go out to eat. You want people to enjoy that food that you found that's so wonderful, We should want to see others come and enjoy the God that we enjoy. Find the same joy that we have in Jesus before God. Because we all want joy. We're built wanting it, wanting to seek pleasure and joy. The question is, where are you going to look to find it? You know, this morning you might even be sitting here and and, and struggling with the fact that you're being told to have joy. How do I make an emotion happen? I mean, scripture is paradoxical that way. It oftentimes commands us to do things that if we think about it, it's like, how do I make myself do that? (laughs) How do I make myself have a new emotion? How do I change what's going on inside of me? So you might be sitting there this morning saying, man, I want to believe this. I want to believe and see a joyful God. I want to see him as happy, especially, man, when he looks at me to believe that he's joyful and pleased in who I am because of Jesus Christ that I'm a beloved son or a beloved daughter, but man, I don't feel that way. How am I gonna get there? How, how can I be joyful about things that I don't feel? Maybe you're already looking forward to next week and saying, I feel the effects of sin. I feel the effects uh, of burdens and, sh- and suffering in this world. How can I ever get there? And we're gonna talk about that more in depth next week, but here's the beauty about the things that God requires of you like this. When he requires you to find joy, it's not because it's something we have to work for. It's not. God can command you to be joyful because he gives it to you. (laughs) That's why he can command it, right? He says, come again to joy because he's the one that makes it happen. Look at what Jesus said near the end of his ministry. Jesus said, these things, talking about his ministry with his disciples, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He said a little bit later, he says, but now I'm coming to you And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus's whole goal was to make sure that we would find joy, gladness, happiness. And look how he says it happens. He says, these things I have spoken to you, these things I speak. God gave us his very word that we might know him. The Word of God, Scripture is there. It's one of the, the main ways that God brings us into the joy of His relationship with Himself in the Godhead and the relationship and joy that Jesus has with that. He gives us His Word again and again, so much so that the disciples obviously pick up on that. Right? They, they write Gospels for us, the good news of what Jesus has done. They write letters, they write all sorts of different testimonies. And it's not just because they're altruistic and they want good for you. They're actually kind of selfish. Selfish. Looks how John says it. He says, and we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. They realize what we've just been talking about. That as they've been brought into relationship with Jesus Christ, for some of them literally walking with him for the past three years, ministering with him on a day-to-day basis, they realize that what would make them even more joyful would be to see other people get to see that as well. So they begin proclaiming it far and wide in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the second thing, right? So if God's going to command you to be joyful, he says, first, I give you my words through Jesus Christ directly and through the power of the Holy Spirit. But then second, he gives you his Holy Spirit. When Jesus was raising and ascending, he said, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to bring you back someone to help you be able to do these things. Someone to help open up your eyes. Someone to open up your ears to what I'm saying. Someone to make your heart soft so you actually want to care about what I'm saying. We find when we look at Scripture that one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. Paul says it this way to the Thessalonians. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the word in much affliction yet with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Or when Paul writes to the Romans, he says it this way. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amazingly, all of this is possible because of Jesus. It's All possible because the God-man chose to come down, live a righteous life, die our death on the cross, send us his Holy Spirit, that of all things, we might find joy. We might find true happiness and gladness in knowing God. And he did that by giving us himself. The theologian Jonathan Edwards says this. He says, the happiness Christ gives to his people is participation in his own happiness. That's what God's doing. Christ is giving us his happiness, his happiness with the Father. Another pastor says it this way, Christ not only offers himself as the divine object of my joy, but pours his capacity for joy into me so that I can enjoy him with the very joy of God. We are all called to join in Jesus' joy. Before we even consider how we can possibly walk out a life filled with sin and suffering and difficulties, we have to come back to joy, joy in Jesus, to be happy, glad. First and foremost, Jesus was happy and glad in his relationship with God. And second, he was joyful and happy in seeing others come into that same relationship. He wants me and you to participate in both of those with him and to find an intimate relationship with with God, enjoying seeing those he brings to himself. You know, God is the one who gives us joy in Jesus. He gives us that joy through his good word as we come back to it again and again and see more than anything that God reveals himself and how much he loves himself and how much he loves us. And we see it through the Holy Spirit working in us to grow us and sanctify us and bring us to that same joy again and again. I pray that you find a way to dwell there this week. Whether your week started out without joy, suffering, sins, difficulties, that you find yourself coming before a God who ultimately is joyful in himself and wants you to enter into that joy and happiness with him. You know, I would encourage you, dwell specifically at the end of the Gospels. As Jesus is leaving this earth, it's one of the things he wants his disciples to see most is how much joy he is trying to give them in their relationship with God. I pray for the Spirit to help join you. And these are the two two passages that I would like to pray for you this week. First and foremost, from 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I pray that's true. I pray that's true, that your joy would be filled inexpressibly. And filled with the glory of God. And I pray that ultimately Matthew 25 would be true today, as much as it will be true someday when you finally go meet him face to face, that you would enter into the joy of your master. Would you pray with me? Father, it is such a sweet thing that you would give us joy. Lord, you didn't have to do that. You, You didn't have to share the joy that you have, the happiness that you have. And God, you definitely didn't have to do it at the cost that it cost. Through death on a cross, Lord, you brought us back into relationship with yourself that this joy might be true. Lord God, would you help us to treasure that this week? Would we sit before you and realize that our our most true joy is found in knowing you and just being loved as your sons and daughters? knowing how much you've cared for us in Christ Jesus and how you are continuing to work in us, Lord God, would you bring your Holy Spirit amongst your people this week? Would you indwell us? Would you help us to know that love deeply as you love us as your very temple, as your body? Lord God, would you help us to rest in that? Not to fight, but to rest, knowing that you have given it to us. Would we find it in your word? Would we find it in your spirit? And Lord God, would we ultimately find joy in you through Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. And this morning we're going to do communion. And one of the the funny thoughts I had was that in the Old Testament, between all the different Sabbath days and all the different festivals, there is a little over three months of days set aside for people to enjoy God and rest in him. I'm not nearly that good at enjoying God and resting in him. I don't usually take three months a year to do that. But the point is that, It is that important that we come again and again to joy and resting in God. And so even in communion this morning, we can do that. See, we oftentimes talk about communion as the remembrance of Jesus at the Last Supper and his death and dying. But Jesus himself even says this is pointing to something different. This is pointing to a final feast, the great wedding feast of the Lamb and the new heavens and the new earth, when we all get to sit before him face to face and experience joy unclouded. We get to sit before our Father in loving relationship with him and experience pure joy without sin and any suffering. I want to invite you to come to that kind of meal today. It's meant to be a foretaste, a remembrance that that is what Jesus bought for us and that God in his grace can begin to break into this world through joy in our lives in the Holy Spirit. So would you consider that as you come to communion? Would you come uh, during the song, take the communion and hold it. We'll take it together uh, after the song. If you're here as a Christian, we invite anyone to come and join us in that. If you're here and you're not yet a believer, I want to enjoin you. Don't just take a picture of something that Christians believe is already true and has happened for them and will be true. But come today to the joyful God. Come today to the God who saved you because of joy, not because he had to. A God who saw you and said, I love them. They are my beloved sons and daughters. And I am calling them like my sheep, joyfully carrying them back into right relationship with himself. Would you come to him like that today? Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.